The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit MorningstarDayton.org. Amen. Man, I'm excited about this series. I'm excited about where God's going to be taking us. And uh, I, I love that. I said it earlier, but this is a place where you're welcome, but you're wanted. A lot of places you can go where you're welcome. There's not many places where you go where you're actually wanted, where people want you to be there. And this is one of those places, and, and I love that. And if you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 2. We'll be there in just a little bit. If you don't have a Bible, totally okay. We'll have uh, some of the verses on the screens we go through this morning. But our mission statement of our church, and we've said this from even back in the summer, is that we are a safe place for people to find and follow Jesus. And we make no apologies about that. That we're going to be a safe place for people to find the hope and the forgiveness and the new life that is only found in Jesus Christ. And we believe that with all of our heart, that Jesus is the answer to everything in our lives. He has the answer to eternal life. He has the answer to a new life. He has the answers that we're seeking. And we're a safe place for people to find him, but also to follow him. And what this series is doing right now, where we're going with this, is we're going to unpack our purpose of our church, which is three things, to gather, to grow, and to go. And this, word, this morning, we're going to focus on that word gather. Um, if you're familiar with HGTV at all, or Fixer Upper, or Chip and Joanna Gaines, you know this word gather, okay? Uh, Joanna Gaines has got one of the first people to really make this a popular phrase to put on signs, right, everywhere, gather, right? Our family gathers here and loved ones gather here and everybody wants a sign with the word gather on it. And uh, this past fall, Mandy took Mason, our seven-year-old, uh, to that craft fair, I think it's called uh, with Charm on the Farm, a traveling craft fair here in Ohio. And Mason's walking around and he keeps seeing these signs that have that word gather on it. And every booth had a sign that people could buy that were gathered. And Mason looked at Mandy and he very serious says, Mom, that must be the only word they know how to spell. And so they make signs out of it. And because in his little mind, he's like, well, they're just really good at writing the word gather. And so, and then he just got, we just got a kick out of that. Because then he walks around just pointing out all the signs that have the word gather on this. And, uh, and this week we're talking about that. And the main idea today, if you don't get anything, is this, is that we gather together because God created us to live in community. That God created you and he created me to live in community, to not live in isolation. Next week we'll look at how God created us to grow in community. And the last week we're going to talk about how God created us to go as a community. But this week we're looking at gather because we are better together. But where do we get that from? Like, hey, gather, grow, and go, it's a really catchy phrase. Like, we even have some really neat signs with it on in, in the foyer there, right outside the door. Like, hey, that's great. Like, did y'all just pull that out of, out of the air? Like, hey, let's just go with that. No, we, we actually, it's out of Scripture. It's from the New Testament, and we want to unpack that this morning. There's two things found in the Gospels. If you're like, I don't know what the Gospels are. They're the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John which record the life of Jesus and what he said and his teachings and how we're supposed to live. And there's two really big things found in the Gospels. One is called the Great Commandment. Everybody say Great Commandment. Great Commandment. All right, that was weak. All right, there's another thing called the Great Commission. Everybody say Great Commission. Great Commission. All right, that was a lot better. All right, now we're, now we're tracking. Okay, that's good. All right, so we have the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. The Great Commandment is this. It's found in Matthew chapter 22. There was a guy who walks up to Jesus and he says, 
Master, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important commandment? What he was asking Jesus was, what's the one most important thing that God wants us to know? And Jesus answers him this way in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replies, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He says the greatest commandment, what God wants you to know more than anything else is to love God with everything that you are. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This guy goes, Jesus, what, Master, what does God want us to know above anything else in the world? Jesus says to love God and love people. To love God with everything you have more than you love anything else and to love your neighbor like you love yourself. And what he did was Jesus was condensing the, the Ten Commandments found in the Old Testament to one small phrase where we could all grasp onto it, love God and love people. And then the thing is the Great Commission. We find that in Matthew 28. So just a few chapters past that, Matthew 28, this is really cool. Jesus was crucified. They buried him. He rose again. He hung out with his followers for about 40 days. And right before he ascends and goes back up to heaven, the very last words he spoke on this earth to his disciples here on this mountain was this. He says this, therefore go. Based on the whole three years of you following me, everything you've learned, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We call this the Great Commission. That Jesus says, hey, look, I got something for you to do. I want you to go into all the world, which starts with our world. We talked about that last week. And I want you to tell people of the hope and the new life that can only be found in me. He says, I want you to go do that. And I want you to baptize them as believers. And I want you to teach them. Both of these, the great commandment and the great commission are very direct. <laughs> They're very easy to understand directions. They're not suggestions. Jesus didn't go, hey, you know, if you've got time, <laughs> if it fits into your schedule, why don't you go tell people about me? If, if it works out, right? And he didn't go, hey, you know, it might be a good idea if you kind of love God. Maybe love people a little bit. No, these are what we call in the Greek language, these are imperatives. These are, these are statements that are, you must do this. So as a church, these are the great commandment and the great commission that we don't have a choice to. Like, this is what Jesus wants us to do. He commands it. Jesus started the church. He died for the church. And then when he rose again, he empowered and engaged the church with this amazing task, this amazing job of going into all the world and making disciples and telling people about Jesus. And so today, our starting point for this series is this. We gather to engage Christ in worship. We gather to engage Christ in worship. There's one other place I want to look at before we get to Acts. is in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, it's Sunday in Jerusalem. Jesus had been crucified on Friday. And now it's Sunday. And in fact, it's Sunday night. Some of the followers of Jesus had already gone to the tomb and they found the tomb empty. One of his followers actually met Jesus, saw the resurrected Jesus. But now they're all together in this room and they don't really know what's going on. Like the rest of them don't really know if they can believe the one disciple that saw Jesus. The rest of everybody knows the tomb is empty, but they don't know why. And they're scared to death. Look, in John chapter 20, in verse 19, it says, In the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. 
These guys and these men and women were locked in this room because they were scared. Because not only did they know the tomb was empty, but the Jewish leaders who crucified Jesus and the Romans knew that the tomb was empty. And they were hunting and looking for the disciples. They were the most wanted people in Jerusalem right now. They had a price on their head. Because the Jewish leaders were accusing them of stealing the body of Jesus. And so they're meeting in this room and John says the door was locked because they were afraid. That very first Sunday when the church met, they met out of fear. But then Jesus shows up in verse 21, and it says, excuse me, in 19, it says, Jesus comes to them, stood among them and said, peace to you. And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So they met out of fear that first Sunday church meeting. Today, we gather out of victory and celebration, understanding and realizing that Jesus is alive. We don't meet out of fear like these guys met that first Sunday. We meet out of victory. We've got a new life and we've got a hope because our Savior is not dead anymore. He's alive and one day he's coming back. And here's the deal. There are churches that are meeting today somewhere around the world in Indonesia and in China and in Russia and in Iran and in parts of the Middle East. There are bodies of believers that are meeting today and they're not meeting out of fear. Even though they might get persecuted, even though to get caught means to get thrown in jail, maybe even lose your life. You understand they're not meeting out of fear today. They're meeting out of the same victory that you and I are meeting today. Because no matter who sits in power in their nation, no matter who's making the laws in their country, no matter what kind of persecution is coming, they are celebrating that their Savior is alive. And we're doing the same thing. We gather to engage Christ in worship and to celebrate that our Savior is alive. And here's what, we find this idea of gathering sprinkled all through the New Testament. We gather and make disciples, like the Great Commission says. We gather and we baptize believers. We gather and teach one another. We gather and love God with all of our hearts by celebrating Jesus. We gather and love our neighbor as ourselves by living in community with one another. We gather and we engage in what we call corporate worship. We were just singing some amazing worship songs. And by the way, we weren't singing to you. (laughs) And it wasn't about me. We were singing to Jesus. We were singing about our risen Savior. We were celebrating him. But when we do that, we're engaging in worship. By praying together, we engage in worship. By hearing the word of God, in John chapter 17, the fact that I'm standing here and we're proclaiming the word of God and you're hearing it, that's an act of worship. By giving, in 1 Corinthians 16, our giving, we don't give just out of obedience. We give back to God what he's given us, and it's an act of worship. We worship and and we gather for baptism. We gather and worship by uh, partaking in the Lord's Supper or communion. And I want to take us to the early church, and I told you we get to Acts, and we're going to get there but Jesus in Acts, Jesus had just assembled, just ascended up to heaven. He's gone. And you have these 12 guys and a, and a loosely organized group of other people that are starting this brand new thing called church. And it's amazing what's happening here. And Peter, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a sermon. Now, you might have heard of Peter before. He's one of the disciples. He's a fisherman with a very bad temper, okay? And Peter sends, tends to say things before he thinks about it. So he's a very imperfect person which we all are, but Peter preaches this sermon. It's so simple. He talks about who Jesus is. He talks about what they did to Jesus. And he talks about what we can have new life through what Jesus did. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, it says that over 3,000 people 
got saved in one day. Peter was not a great communicator. He wasn't a, a seminary student. He didn't graduate from Bible college. He was a fisherman, but just talked about Jesus. And in one day, the church went from 12 core people and about 100 other followers to 3,000 people in one day. How awesome is that? But how was that possible? Like what was so significant about that early church in Acts that made that possible? Look, I want to look at the next couple of verses. Look in verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this, and they, the they there is the church, the body of believers, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I want to break this down for this is so, we read that verse and there's so much in there that we really don't understand. That we kind of just gloss over it sometimes. The first part of it, they devoted themselves. That word devoted means that they continued without fail. Like this was not a one and done type thing. They continue without fail. What did they continue without fail in? Teaching. They were soaking up like a sponge this new thing of new life and forgiveness in Jesus. They were just, they couldn't get enough of it. But look at that next word. They devoted themselves not only to teaching but to fellowship. We use that word and we're like fellowship is just like hanging out, right? Like just hanging out and, and, and getting together. But there's so much word. That Greek word fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia doesn't mean just hanging out. That word fellowship is so much more than that. What it is, it means to get to know one another on a super deep level. There, it means that these were not superficial relationships. They weren't just surface level. And here's what we do. And, and even in church, we don't like going deep. We like relationships that everybody kind of stays at arm's length, don't we? Like, because it's comfortable that way. We like the relationships where we say, hey, how you doing? And then walk away. And then maybe go, hey, how you doing? But we really don't care how they're doing, really, right? This word koinonia, this word that we translate fellowship, it's not superficial. It's deep, meaningful relationships. You know why we don't like deep, meaningful relationships? Because here's what happens. When I, when I meet someone and I start to go in a deep, meaningful relationship with them, and we're talking about an intimate relationship, not a, not a sexual relationship, but an intimate relationship, what happens is the more I get to know that person, the more I realize how messy they are, right? The more I get to know someone, the more I realize how broken they are. And their brokenness and their messiness kind of rise to the surface. But you know what also happens? The deeper I go with someone is my messiness and my brokenness comes to the surface too. And here's what we do. We start on that road of, hey, I really like to get to know this person more. I really like to form a, a deep, meaningful relationship with this person. But when their messiness starts to come to the top and my messiness starts to come to the top, one, I'm embarrassed about my messiness, so I shut down. And two, their messiness kind of makes me stand offish a little bit because I'm like, that's just weird. Like, I don't know if I can handle that. And so what we do is we isolate and withdraw. And we keep everybody out here. But that word koinonia, what the original, what the early church did in fellowship was when that messiness started to rise to the surface and their brothers and sisters in the church, instead of withdrawing and backing away, they leaned in. That's what that word fellowship means. It doesn't just mean hang out. It means the more we get to know each other and the messier it becomes, the deeper we go in this relationship. I'm not going to give up on you and you're not going to give up on me. And we're just going to keep going deeper and challenging one another and loving one another and, and, and helping to provoke what the Bible says each other to good works. Here's the deal. Jesus did this to us. 
Jesus knows our messiness. He knows our brokenness, doesn't he? He knows how messed up we are. He knows how sinful we are. And as God himself, you know what he could have done? Mm, they are messed up. But what Jesus did is he leaned in. And he pursues us, even in the middle of our messiness. And so what Jesus is calling us to do as a church is to get rid of the superficial relationships and go deeper Quit backing away because we're worried. What are they going to think about me when they find out what my skeletons in the closet are? What are they going to think about me when they find out how broken I really am? Or stop thinking, uh, judging the other person for how broken they are. What would it look like today if our church did what this church did and said, we're going to go deep because Jesus leaned in for us and we're going to lean in for each other. Then he says in here, it says, they also devoted themselves to eating together. And that's a big deal. It's not like today. Back then in this culture, if you ate with someone, not only were you fellowshipping with them, but you were identifying with them. So you had rich people eating with poor people, which was unheard of before this. You had important people eating with nobodies, which was just, you didn't do that. Then it says, not only did they eat together, but they prayed together. Look in verse 44. Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. This is super important because that word together means they were united. They had one goal and one goal only, and that was to spread the message of hope and forgiveness and redemption to everybody they met. And you know what? Because they were united, they weren't fighting about things like the color on the walls or what kind of chairs they sat in or the style of worship music or what people were wearing to church, they were united and that one thing changed everything. Everything else in their life became a blur because they were together in all things. Look in verse 46. It says, and every day they devoted, there's that idea again, that devoted means consistently without fail themselves to meeting together in a temple complex. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Verse 47 says, praising God and having favor with all the people. I want to break this one down. Listen, bear with me. Every day they gathered together without fail. They gathered in the temple complex. They met and had church in the temple in Jerusalem. And they were just talking and sharing their life story and the forgiveness of Jesus with everybody they came in contact with. And it says, then it says they broke bread from house to house. So not only did they gather corporately as a group, but they didn't stop there. When it was time to stop church there at the temple complex, it says, then they went and spread out to other people's houses and went and broke bread and hung out with one another. And they gathered together to go deeper in their relationships. And I, I think this is so awesome that it wasn't just a church relationship. These things existed outside of their normal church. And they grew. I remember growing up, and it was such a huge thing for me. And my parents were so keyed in on this. It seemed like we were always spending time with somebody from church. We were always fellowshipping together. Like we had people over our house playing games or we were over their house. And then on Sunday, if we didn't go out to eat or go to somebody's house for lunch on Sunday or have them over our house for lunch on Sunday, we were going out with them on Sunday night or going to someone else's. I'm, I'm telling you, it was always something going deeper in relationships. And for me, that was super important to watch my parents live this out. Then it said they did it with gladness. It was a joy to be around other believers. 
And then that last part of that phrase, simplicity of heart, it's really that idea of being united in the phrase of everybody being welcomed and wanted, that nobody was cast out. It was easy to come and join and be a part of them. Don't you see? The power of this early church came from Jesus and it was manifested when they gathered together. They gathered there together corporately and then they gathered in small groups of believers outside what we would call a normal worship time. God did not create us to live in isolation. And I hear this sometimes, I'm talking to some people, well, I don't live in isolation. I have my spouse and I have my kids. And yes, your spouse and kids are super important. And it's a very special gift that God has blessed you with to have a spouse, to have a husband, a wife, and children in a core biological family. But here's what we do. We sometimes use our core biological family as an excuse to neglect our spiritual church family. Well, you know, our house is a mess. We can't have people over. Like, look, like what would people think? We can't fellowship outside of this. Like, I, I, we've, got, we've got basketball games. We've got football games. We've got, we've got things our kids are involved in. We can't, we got, we're just too busy. And what happens is we sacrifice our church spiritual family, the koinonia that we're supposed to have, and we make excuses and use our core biological family as an excuse why we can't do it. Listen to me, very, it's very important. One of the most powerful things, parents, that your kids can see you do is to fellowship with other believers both inside this building and outside this building. You want to know one of the reasons we have so many kids walking away from the, their faith once they graduate high school and they get out? Because our teenagers are smart enough to know and recognize shallow, superficial relationships. And you know where they see the most shallow, superficial relationships? In this building. And so when they get out, because God created them to also live in community, you know what they do? They go seek community somewhere that is deep and meaningful, and they oftentimes find it sometimes outside the umbrella of God's protection of the church. And we wonder why are they walking away? Maybe because we never showed them what it looked like to fellowship, to have koinonia with the believers of God in a church family. One of the most powerful things your kids can see you do is watch you fellowship in here and outside these walls. I think we've lost that because we become so isolated in our Western culture, so independent that we forget that this thing, the gathering, is one of the most important things that this early church did. We gather because God created us to live in community with one another, to share life. And some people are kind of like, I don't really understand what that phrase share life means. What are you talking about? To share life means this, we share in our joys we share in our sorrows, we share in our suffering, but we also share in our victories and we share in the hope that we have. We share in our job of making Jesus famous. We share in encouraging one another and challenging one another to go deeper, not only with our relationships with one another, but to go deeper with our relationship with Jesus Christ. The church in America is so full of superficial, shallow relationships. We don't rely on anyone. Very independent. This early church, they relied on Jesus Christ and they grew closer to one another. And the church exploded. You know why? Because people who didn't know Jesus looked at what was going on 
And they saw the transformation and the lives that were being changed. And they saw the fact that people who before never ate together, never hung out together, didn't even belong in the same street with one another. But they saw these people laughing and having joy and sharing things together and doing life together. And it drew non-believers to this new community that offered real hope and real forgiveness and real redemption and a real new life. And the church just went crazy. We struggle with this. And I'm going to tell you right now, be very honest with you, I struggle with this. This is very hard for me to do. Having been in law enforcement and been a police officer for many years, almost right at a decade, is everything in my life was keeping people at arm's length for safety. For reasons that I was able to justify at that time, and some of it made sense, but don't let anybody in. Because what you let somebody in with now, they'll stab you in the back later with. What you let, if you let your guard down here, it can hurt you physically even. And so I was very good at shutting people out. And unfortunately, some of that has followed me. And so right now, I am battling, even as the pastor, I'm battling opening my life up and letting people in because it's hard for me to do. And it's hard for you to do. But just because it's hard doesn't give us an excuse not to do it. So I just want you to know I'm on this journey with you. God is breaking my heart and God is softening my life. At the same time, I hope he's doing the same thing for you. We are doing this together. And I long for the day that I'm able to be so open and go deep and have koinonia with even more people. And God keeps bringing people into my life. And I love this, that they keep pushing themselves into my life. Because I need that. I need people not to give up trying to get in. Because God is shaping me and working me just like he's shaping and working in you. But what would our church look like if we all said, you know what, I'm tired of the superficial, I'm tired of the surface level, I don't care what our house looks like, I don't care what our schedule looks like, we're going to do life together. What would the community around us see? What kind of impact would that have in our community to see? Man, there is something going on at Morningstar, i got to go check that out. One of Satan's biggest tools is to keep believers isolated. To make them think they're all alone to keep them from opening up because they might get judged or might get rejected. And what that leads to is discouragement, which leads to depression, which honestly leads to more isolation. The last thing Satan wants for the churches of America and more specifically for the church here at Morningstar is for people to start going deeper and making real lasting relationships. He's the last thing he wants. You know what he wants? He wants us all to stay surface level. Hey, how you doing? You okay? Good. See you later. He doesn't want us going deeper because there's something about the church of God when we unite. There's something about the church of God when we come together. And the power of God and the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, there is something about that. Evangelist and author Matt Brown says this. He says, it's surprising to me how many Christians struggle with the idea of gathering together. A popular Christian motto is this, you don't go to church, you are the church. And I totally agree with that. Church is not something we go to. It's us. But we got to be very careful that we define what we mean by that. Because if we don't define that carefully, what happens is if we pit going to church and being in the church against each other as if they're opposed to one another. If we're truly the church, then we are surely going to get together with other believers regularly. Here's why. Because we cannot be the church if we don't gather as the church. I want to say that again because I want us to get that. And look, some of you might, might even disagree with that. We will never be the church if we do not gather as the church. 
They are not mutually exclusive. Church never refers to an individual or a lone ranger Christian who goes about their Christian duties never getting together for worship with other believers. The church by its very nature is a group of multiple believers who live out Jesus in our gathering. A pastor said this, he said, do not reduce church to listening to a podcast. It's so much more than that. He says it's community. It's worshiping with others, praying for others, hurting with others, serving others, and being involved in the lives of others. So real quick, I'm going to give us four things. Why do we gather? And we're going to fly through these. Why do we gather? Number one, here's why we gather, because God says so. And if we stop there, it should be enough, right? It's like it was a parent. Your kids ask you why, because I said so, right? God says so. God tells us in his word. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, you're writing notes. You want to write that down. Hebrews 10, 25. He says, do not give up. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. And he's talking to a church. Don't forsake it. If you love Jesus, you will love the things he loves. Paul says that Jesus, he refers to the church as the bride of Christ. You know what Jesus loves? He loves his bride. He loves his church. The Bible says Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for it. And if we love the things, if we say we love Christ, then we're going to love the things that he loves. The church is so important to God, it should be important to us. And God didn't call us to gather to burden us. He called us to gather to be a blessing to us so that we could have koinonia. Second thing, why do we gather? Number two, because worshiping Jesus together is powerful. It's powerful. Jesus, as a believer in Christ, Jesus indwells us with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he lives there. And so there's something biblically powerful about getting together with other believers in worship. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Jesus said, where two or more of you are gathered in my name, there I am in the middle of you. Now here's what's awesome. Jesus already indwells us as a believer in Christ. But he says there's something about when two or three of you are gathered in my name and you're gathering as church, there's something even more powerful because now not only do I indwell you, but I'm in the middle of what you're doing. And we gather and when we're here right now, Christ is here indwelling and convicting and challenging us and wanting us all to grow more and more like him. He not only lives in us, but he is in the midst of us when we gather to worship him. Third thing, why do we gather? Because we need Christian community. All of us long for community and connection with others, and God has given us this gift of gathering. It fulfills something inside us to do life with, encourage, and be authentically involved in each other's lives. And here, I get, look, Christian TV and podcasts and, and, and books by certain authors, listen, and conferences, they are wonderful additions to our spiritual lives. Wonderful additions to our spiritual life. But I want you to catch this. I don't care how popular the author is. I don't care how many letters he has after his name. I don't care how big his church is or her church is. I don't, care, I don't care what they've done. I don't care how many sermons they have out there. Listen to me very carefully. Nothing, nothing takes the place of consistent gathering with the church of God. Nothing. Yes, go to conferences. Yes, read books. I read everything I get my hands on. Yes, listen to podcasts and fill your life spiritually. But do not let those things replace our consistent gathering with the local church. The fourth reason we gather is because we grow more together than alone. We grow more together than alone. And it can be messy. 
when we step into each other's lives, when we start getting really intentional about going deeper in our relationships, it gets messy because we're all human and no one's perfect. I like saying this, this is a perfect place for imperfect people. And it's exactly who we are. But God created us to do life together as believers. And gathering regularly with other believers becomes a refining process in our life. We challenge one another. We encourage one another to follow Christ even more than we already do. And don't let excuses get in the way for why we don't gather. We gather because God created us to live in community. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, visit MorningstarDayton.org and choose Contact Us.